1: Place to be, Nation. Welcome back to another edition of Making Matt Rushmore here on The Pop Experience. I am your host slash moderator and panelist for this episode, Steve Riddle. And today we are going to be delving back into the world of video games. It's been uh, quite a while since we've touched on this topic. Uh, I think it was actually back in March when we last did this. And uh, joining me on this journey, uh, it's just going to be a two-man um Group here today uh, as i have one other one only one guest with me uh he has been on before and coincidentally enough he was uh, the last time he was on was for that last episode about video games so uh good to have him back uh you can usually find him over on the north south connection feed with his ever uh unique and interesting multiverse uh, fabulousness and he is about to start off a uh, new podcast feed uh t- dubbed the new tnn uh which he will uh, of course talk about here um in a bit. Uh it is Mr. Johnny C. Johnny, how are you, sir?
0: See, I'm doing well, man. I uh appreciate you inviting me back on here to talk about some video games. One of my favorite topics.
1: Yeah, of course. Definitely one of my favorites as well. And uh for this episode, um as I said, you know, the last time you were on, we discussed um we discussed two specific genres of video games, um horror and RPGs. Uh today we're gonna be flipping it up a little bit and we're gonna be talking about two specific consoles. Uh, For those of you who are uh, like me and probably like Johnny, grew up in the uh, late 80s, early 90s, uh, the two consoles that really kind of dominated the video game world at the time were the Super Nintendo and the Sega Genesis. Uh, I myself actually had both of these consoles. Um, It's funny, when my... uh, when my parents had gotten divorced and um, they moved to different houses, and I would visit, you know, visit my dad every other weekend. Uh, I actually had um, each console at a different house. They had the Super Nintendo at my mom's house and the Sega at my at my dad's house. So kind of a interesting uh, dynamic there. Uh, but for this first half, we're going to be discussing um, the Super Nintendo first. This, of course, was the uh, successor to the original Nintendo Entertainment System. Uh, brought the games over from 8-bit to 16-bit, and kind of ushered in a, a great um, series of years there for Nintendo throughout the 90s with some great games that we're of course going to talk about here. So, Johnny, why don't you go ahead and get us started off here by giving us your first entry on your Mount Rushmore of Super Nintendo games?
0: Absolutely. So, I'm sort of the opposite of you, I guess, in a sense that I didn't have both, but uh, I was definitely a Genesis kid growing up. So, with the Super Nintendo list, it's it's interesting to me because I came to a lot of these later in life on uh, emulators and then legally owned systems of uh, the same nature later on. Uh, I probably should have led with that one. But my point being (laughs) is that, uh, you know, a lot of these are sort of found later in life with the exception of a few. However, the first one I want to talk about is the definition of killer app. Because when you are a kidster sitting at home and you see the Super Nintendo commercial, it's coming stores soon and they show you a 16-bit bullet bill that in my little kid brain takes up the entire screen that is super mario world and that's why it absolutely has to be on the list it is the killer app for the super nintendo it is a legendary game that i still don't think i've beaten every level to, and it's a great gather round and multiple people can play that don't even like video games sort of game that's normally not my biggest draw but I've seen it happen too many times, and it leads to a good time. The Super Mario world has to be included.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I had it on my uh, Matt Rushmore as well. Um, obviously, when you think Nintendo, you think Mario. And when the uh, Super Nintendo came out, you knew that um, there was going to be a Mario game to kind of be the anchor for it. And after um, the success of uh, Super Mario 3, uh, I think that uh, Nintendo was definitely in a position to try to you know build off of that and when super mario world came out um seeing it in sixteen Ben seeing like the graphics of it really um was just so unique and um the you know you know it introduced us to Yoshi um we were we were transported to a new world it gave the the koopa kids another um outing as the as the bad guys um and just the the numerous um pathways that you could take uh throughout the game um to get to like those um those secret levels and just you know just the amount of hours you can just put into this thing i think really um just made it one of the best games um not just for the super nintendo but in gaming in general i mean you still it's still considered one of the uh the greatest games ever made and it would actually be the best selling uh game of nintendo super nintendo game of all time with over 20 million copies so uh definitely a big home run there for um for nintendo and definitely continues the um the run that Mario was on at that point so definitely a good pick and definitely i think if we ask a lot of people this would definitely be on their mount rushmores uh, yeah even um, even if Super you take Nintendo away
0: games. even if you take away the gameplay elements just the spectacle and showmanship of the entire presentation. You know, the first time you booted up and the first time you experienced some things for the first time, I, I don't think it can be understated how much of a graphical leap it was. And then the animation style was also unlike anything you would see on the Genesis at the time as well. So it really was a wholly unique experience. And for the longest time, only like one of two games you could own. Uh, you know, it, I can't, I don't, do you know, if, is, is F-Zero the other game that came out the same day as launch day? Oh, uh, that's a good question. Um, because my friend, my, I, b- my best friend had, had the system, they got Mario world with it and then they got F zero on launch week. And that's how I played it for the most.
1: Yeah. it so it was, um, when it was released in Japan, it was, um, it was this one and F uh, F zero were the, uh, where the two like launch games for it. Okay. It doesn't say though, if it was for uh, if it was the same for uh, North
0: America. I gotcha. Um, it just, and Hey, and I'm not trying to be, yeah you know, just, I, and I could be misremembering, do not get me wrong, uh, but that's what I'm thinking. And it, it's not really relevant, but it's, you know, like I said, it was just a different feel right out of the box. And it really put it in your face because uh, those bullet bills are in World 1-1. That's not an accident. And I, I don't mean to keep harping on that. I kind of meant it as a joke, but to me, it was huge. And it was one of the first things you see. So they they were definitely trying to show off and it worked.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah and and also like i said bringing it to a different um like because at that point you know the mario games have been in the mushroom kingdom and now we were in this whole new world uh dinosaur land um like i said which brought us yoshi for the first time so definitely a um you know it was a big risk for nintendo and it definitely paid off in the end so good you know good on them all right well i'm gonna go ahead and give uh my next entry onto uh my mount rushmore of uh, super nintendo games and this wasn't a game i i don't recall playing i may have like Done it played it once or twice, but another game that re- that built off what had been um a successful launch back you know back in the day. And that is Super Metroid. Uh this of course was released in 1994. It was the third installment in the Metroid series following the original Metroid of course, and then the uh the Game Boy uh Metroid 2 Return of Samus game. Uh similar to Super Mario World. This definitely um this game built off the um what Metroid had you know begun back in when it first was released and another game that was released to real critical acclaim i know a lot of people out there probably thought this game was better than the original metroid and some probably consider this still the um still the best game of the metroid series uh did very very well um it was one of the uh, top 10 selling games of 94 when it came out and it kind of gave another um level to, um, to Samus as being one of the uh, iconic characters of not just Nintendo, but of uh, video gaming in general. Uh, and I know, Johnny, you had this on your Matt Rushmore as well.
0: Yeah, and ironically, this is a game I didn't come to until the pandemic. Uh, now, I, I grew up playing Metroid and Metroid 2 for Game Boy, and then uh, when I was in college, uh, I got a hold of Metroid Prime, and that's a, oof, a, what a good game. Uh, but uh, I, got a, I got an SNES Classic, um, a little bit before the pandemic started, and Super Metroid was one of those bucket list games, and I could never really get it to emulate quite right because uh, I was. Pl- but that's a story for another time, or maybe somewhere else. But my point is, is that uh, I came to it; it's a beautiful experience. I think it probably is remembered so fondly uh, because it's an enhancement in every way over the original, um, graphically and presentation-wise. Um, music, we could debate back and forth, but I think that the there's a certain plot element there are plot elements added to it this go around too so it endears it more to the fandom as if ah now we understand things just a little bit more on top of having a great experience
1: Mm -hmm. yeah definitely and what's interesting about it is um i'm just kind of reading up on it um this would actually there would not be another metroid game after this for eight years so it was kind of so it was you know kind of weird that this game did so did so well and is considered so great yet we never yeah it took a while before sequel came out because i know a lot of people were waiting to see uh, a metro game a metroid game for the nintendo 64 uh, but we never unfortunately got it so you know it's uh, weird
0: you you don't see many franchises in video games these days hold back metroid seems like one of those that has remained now there have been a couple of offshoots over the years that have been sort of put the brand knit down a little bit you know there's some sort of pinball game and the other m wasn't too great but they they've stuck to their guns and tried to praise quality over quantity but that is crazy to hear that stat of eight years
1: yeah i mean the only time really the only time we saw samus on the um on the n64 was when she was in smash brothers so
0: (laughs) that's true wow i bet they had the hardest time trying to figure out what to do on the n64 with a metroid title
1: yeah, like I think that was the big things. Like, how would uh, how would you use the controller to control her? So, it would have been would have been interesting to see. Like I said, it, if they had released the Metroid game on the S sixty four, how that would have turned out. So, you know, maybe yeah. another world we we would have seen it happen, or another
0: timeline we would have seen it happen. There you go. Somewhere out in the multiverse, some kids playing it right now.
1: Right. <laughs> All right. Well, okay, Johnny, why don't you go ahead and give us another entry on your Matt Rushmore of Super Nintendo games.
0: All right, so this is another one that uh, I tried to always play when I would go to my friend's house. Of course, it was uh, old news to them, but to me it was a leap forward with a series that I was in love with uh, on the Nintendo, and that is Mega Man X. Now, it's Mega Man's, I think it's Mega Man's first 16-bit foray. They did do a Mega Man 7 for the Super Nintendo as well, um, it, but X, I feel like, is a superior leap, whereas 7 felt weird to me because it was a continuation of Nintendo. Mega Man X was supposed to be something brand new, and it did add a lot of new elements to Capcom's beloved franchise. And uh, I'm kind of a sucker for Mega Man. Most of my podcast shows are named after Mega Man Robot Masters. So, uh, yeah, kind of a sucker for it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I don't recall playing Mega Man a lot. Again, one of those things where I may have played it like once or twice. Um, One of the few... um, nintendo super nintendo games that actually also was a there was a port for the uh for the p c as well um, oh god so that's had that, right yeah, so you have that extra um that extra avenue to uh to play the game and um yeah i mean again another game that did um you know pretty well when it came out and it just you know spawned a whole bunch of different um ports of it um i know it would eventually be um, there would be f- the future like titles would go on to like the sega standard and into the playstation um that sort of thing. So really just another kind of, uh, you know, avenue for, uh, for Mega Man to get, you know, to get big. And like you said, the first Mega Man game to be a 16 bit and, um, yeah, just a really one of those games, I think, um, you get a more deeper appreciation of when you go back to play it.
0: Yeah. It, I mean, it introduced a lot of the like zero and Sigma and, you know, it, it switched things up from the NES numbered series where it was instead of like, uh, top man shadow man it was a uh, adjective animal for t- which is silly but, but like a uh, storm owl stuff like that storm eagle like uh, you know it's just it 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 really became its own thing while replicating something we were comfortable and familiar with and i, I think it's one of the reasons the series has endured for better or worse mm-hmm. it, it it continues to evolve without changing
1: mhm yeah. And and also it's funny because I've I seen that apparently uh, people got um, when they bought the game for the first time, they got confused because they thought the X meant, you know, that was the
0: 10th edition in the, oh in the game. But <laughs> uh, but obviously, but obviously it wasn't. So, yeah, um, that's ridiculous, but also hilarious to hear people say that because there had only been six games. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless
1: they thought, unless they thought there was, unless they thought there were games out there that they didn't know about. So,
0: well, hey, we'll talk. We'll have to talk about that later because that is true. That definitely happens.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Well, uh, I will go ahead here and give my next entry on um, my Matt Rushmore, assuming Nintendo games. And as I had um, way back, uh, like a year or so ago, when we were discussing. Um, franchises of video games i said when it came to nintendo um the two franchises i think most people remember are mario and zelda and of course for the super nintendo their big zelda game was of course a link to the past uh which came out in 1992 and kind of similar like i said like we were talking about the super mario world and super metroid uh this built off of the original zelda and then of course zelda to the adventures of link and it would end up uh becoming one of the biggest games that uh the super nintendo ever had it was also another game that was very critically acclaimed um to see the inner the, the idea of um you know traveling between the light world and the dark world for link as he's trying to um you know save the um the sages from uh from uh from ganon and just you know ha- going back to the um because in the the adventures of link it kind of it transitioned from that top down um Gameplay to a side scroller, and this game, uh, a Link to the Past, um, reverts back to that old um, top-down uh, camera view, uh, which I think a lot of people missed in the in the, the Adventures of uh, the Adventures of Link. So, again, another franchise that has um, really done extremely well for Nintendo. Um, when we get to like maybe other consoles, um, we'll talk about obviously future Zelda games. Um, but I think when it comes down to it, you cannot deny what A Link to the Past um, did for Nintendo and for the Super Nintendo itself. So, uh, Johnny, do you have anything else to say about A Link to the Past?
0: I mean, it. and again, it's it doesn't make my list um, because, you know, not having the system, it's certainly one of those games that it takes a little bit longer time to play. Um, I feel bad hearing you mention it because it's like, obviously, it absolutely belongs on there because it's such quality. Uh, It really pushes everything to the limit. It uses sound design so well. Um, I love the opening sequence. Um, Just the little, as the title screen, as silly as that sounds, but it's just, it's so polished. And uh, it really shows the power of the system. And, you know, not just looks, but also the way that it feels, the way that it controls, and just the fun you have, the way that it plays. So, I I'm, I'm in 100% agreement and almost embarrassed I didn't include it myself but I just didn't play it a lot you know it not it wasn't until all the secrets had been unrevealed un- revealed to me cuz my friends all had it that uh you know I actually got a hold of it myself so it didn't resonate as much
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a that's funny. That's another thing that when you talk about a lot of these games, uh, one of the things that draws us to them is the is the soundtrack and the score. I mean, th- some of these games just have such amazing um, scores behind them. I mean, like Link to the Past, Super Mario World. they're just so recognizable, and you know, even though you know modern day games still have some really uh, do have some great scores as well, but I think they you know they are not as fondly remembered as some of these older games are. Like when you ask a lot of people about um music you know video game scores they'll obviously go back to some of these older games so um i think that's something else to that we take into account as well when remembering these older games
0: yeah the scores are important too because they can actually create like thematic elements and it almost becomes kind of like star wars every character has a special motif that they play and, and those pass from generation to generation uh, you know, Zelda's lullaby or the little tone it makes when you find a secret or the overworld theme. Those things persist, and that makes it, you know, something that we want to return to. It's artistic, dare I say. And, you know, Nintendo's one of those companies that early on showed that you can be artistic without a huge narrative. It's kind of their bread and butter. So.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I totally 100% agree with you on that one. All right, well, uh, you've only got one entry left on your Matt Rushmore Super Nintendo game, so why don't you go ahead and give it to us?
0: Well, speaking, it's kind of funny because it's almost the opposite of what we just said. Uh, Obviously, it's a Super Nintendo game, but it wasn't published by Nintendo, whereas they sort of keep their narratives thin but rich. Um, This is a game that has, well... I was going to say a rich narrative. It does, but you really have to look in between the cracks to get it. Uh, it is a role-playing game, big shocker, and I almost am embarrassed because it was on the RPG list that we talked about the last time I was here. But it's it's earthbound. It has to be. I mean, it's a ridiculously unique experience um, that could have only been held, had on the Super Nintendo, uh, you know, there are some other great RPGs out there that aren't necessarily console exclusive and have been readily available in a thousand different ways over the years, but Earthbound has remained constant. It's a, it's a standard of uh, excellence, maturity, but also it's just a video game, and it's just a video game. Uh, it is It wears its presentation openly, uh, but it has a lot more to it underneath, and it's a pretty fun RPG too, so why not?
1: Mhm yeah I do remember when we uh, we did talk about this on the when we talked about RPGs and it's funny because when it was first originally released in the US it didn't um the buzz behind it wasn't too um too well well received and um sales were were pretty were actually not too good um it's not it wasn't until like years later that it it got the um the recognition that it that it definitely deserved and um and also, you know, I think a lot of that also was when uh, Ness became a uh, was in Super Smash Brothers as a hidden character. Um, I think that, kind of, you know, that was one of the bigger surprises of that t- at that time. And it kind of gave a, almost like a um, kind of reintroduction of the of the fr- of the um, of Earthbound and the that series as a whole.
0: Yeah, I, I it's funny. I remember that and being like, who's this kid? Because I, it's a game that, you know, I played. uh later in life but and it's not you know the sad thing is to well it's not i don't know if it's sad but i I sit here and i realize that it's a kind of an obvious pick and i also know that it's not like a perfect game it can you know it's not but it tries so much in a genre that uh you know is pretty cut and dry a lot of times especially in that era um i don't know like it's just too too damn charming and too damn creative to not just embrace as sort of a mascot for this is what we were capable of in terms of the art of gaming uh, you know and what, what i don't know if you mentioned the year but it's got to be like what 95 96 ish um you know with limited capabilities
1: mm-hmm. yeah that, yeah it was uh june 95 it came out in the u.s so uh,
0: okay so you could play earthbound watch king of the ring and then uh go back to playing earthbound <laughs>
1: If if you even want to watch King of the Rings, so
0: come on, pal, it's King Mabel. <laughs> uh,
1: that's a yeah, that's a you. If you want a more in-depth analysis on King of the Ring '95, there's a bunch of other podcasts out there that have done <laughs> a far more in-depth analysis on that than I think anyone else could do. So for
0: sure, I don't. It, yeah, yeah,
1: definitely, it's not here. <laughs> no, it's not. All right. Well, I will uh, go ahead and give my last entry on this uh, on my Super uh, Mount Rushmore Super Nintendo games. And this is one where I could have gone with um, any of them in the series. But I, of course, went with the first one here. And that's, of course, Donkey Kong Country, uh, which was l- released in uh, 1994. It was kind of the first time that um, that Donkey Kong had been uh, transitioned from a villain um, to a to the hero. Um, this is where we get the debut of his of Diddy Kong and. Uh, they go out and try to um say they recover their bananas from uh, King K. Rool and his Kremlins, and um, like I said, it def it spawned two um equally good games. Yeah, uh, Donkey Kong Country Two, Diddy's Conquest, and then Donkey Kong Country Three, uh, Dixie Kong's tr- Double Trouble. Um, the third one I remember playing actually a lot more than I did these uh, first two. But um, you know, like I said, Donkey Kong Country definitely um it um you know kind of. You know brought Donkey Kong into a new light and again it's one of those things where it's like you can take so many different paths um, across all the levels Um, you get to be different um, animals at certain points Um, and again one of those games that's still considered one of the best of all time and brought uh, like I said brought Donkey Kong into a you know a whole new um light after he had been just you know known for that at that point as the villain in the in the arcade game. Um so I thought that this game definitely um deserves some recognition here. Um Johnny do you have anything else to say about Donkey Kong Country?
0: Yeah uh, I mean I completely agree with you. It it revitalized the IP completely and and it made Donkey Kong something you could I mean I know the arcade game is like legendary and competitive and stuff like that, and I'm not trying to take that away from it. But in terms of like home based entertainment, I'm not trying to sound like Vince Man, that's a real phrase, home-based entertainment. Um <laughs> like it it completely made Donkey Kong something that like my kids know who Donkey Kong is, you know. It's probably from Smash Brothers, but Donkey Kong wouldn't be in Smash Brothers if it wasn't for Donkey Kong Country. And you cannot deny that especially the first one, the the presentation of the characters in motion and the and the enemies and what have you, it was like watching a Pixar movie compared to a Disney 2D animated film at the time in terms of how different it felt. I don't know how they rendered the graphics or what system they used. I don't have that those technical specs and knowledge, but uh, it was impressive, uh, to me anyway. They also, uh, my friend who had the Super Nintendo had some VHS tape that was like the making of Donkey Kong Country or... Yeah, some sort of like 15 minute tape that Nintendo Power sent him. And we watched it incessantly until that game came out. I was ready to go to his house and use his Super Nintendo to play Donkey Kong Country.
1: <laughs> yeah, I I, it's, uh, I actually remember um, I had um, a pair of Nintendo uh, Power tapes that they used to release. and Coincidentally enough, they also revolved, but it wasn't about Donkey Kong Country. One of them was about Donkey Kong 64, uh, ah. with, uh, Jet Force Gemini. And then um the other one was about Diddy Kong racing, which I was gonna the which I was gonna actually make a point about. The fact that um you know, thanks to this game and more partic you know, specifically the next game, Diddy Kong really became um as big of a name as Donkey did. I mean, the fact that Diddy got his own um racing game and he's been, you know, featured a lot more prominently in like the the Smash Brothers and the Mario Party, um So I think he, um, you know, thanks to this game, you know, thanks to this game that uh, Diddy Kong, you know, became a household name right up there with Donkey. So
0: Diddy Diddy Kong has a little bit of Poochie syndrome, though. You know, he's got the backwards hat and uh, he's a little more hip than Donkey. But but I do like Diddy Kong, but he's definitely one of those 90s. uh, There's another one on the other system we'll talk about this just sort of hip animated mascot characters.
1: (laughs) Yeah, never, never thought i would ever hear diddy kong uh be compared to poochie of all
0: people i mean you know i mean you know and i'm not diddy kong has more credibility i'm just saying that he, he's just he's like eight percent poochie
1: <laughs> well diddy's not gonna be um diddy's not gonna get in the rocket and go back up to his uh to his own planet and that uh, is true get destroyed along the like, way so
0: <laughs> diddy kong was embra- diddy kong was embraced by the culture i just feel like his hat makes me feel like someone sat in a, you know, a couple of people sat in a room and were like, how can we make Diddy Kong cool? What would the kids want Diddy Kong to wear? A backwards hat. You know, <laughs> that's the 8% of Diddy Kong that's poochie. The rest is all Nintendo heart. <laughs> oh,
1: that's funny. All right. Well, that will uh, conclude both of our uh, Mount ones here, but we do both have some honorable mentions we want to talk about. So uh, Johnny, if you want to go ahead and give your first honorable mention.
0: Sure. And this honorable mention is just, I mean, it's an honorable mention because it's, you know, these are our list. Uh, Mega Man soccer. I played this game incessantly with my friend that had the Super Nintendo and we were both big Mega Man fans. And, uh, you know, they Capcom just made a soccer sim where you could play as different robots for Mega Man. And every robot had like a special move kick that you could do during the match. Like it's just, you know, it's. I don't know that this game means anything to anyone or if it's revered in circles of gaming culture but uh we've played it incessantly and I I love it it's got a spot in my heart. So cuz when I think of it I think of being a kid and hanging out with my friends. So Mega Man Soccer.
1: Right, that's a uh that's definitely an interesting uh choice there. Um I don't know if a lot of uh people um knew that knew that uh there was a mega man soccer game i certainly didn't until you mentioned that uh because when you talk about nintendo like those sports spinoffs it's usually all the mario ones that you think about you don't realize and even to um to a certain degree um sonic uh you don't re- realize that mega man had his own too. maybe actually one of the first ones yeah it's so crazy man
0: like i, I remember i went to his house and he was like dude i got a new game mega man soccer and i i, I was kind of like what what the hell is that? Like I, I know what Mega Man is. I know what soccer is. We play soccer. But but why why would they do this? That was my first thought. Why did they do this? He handed me the controller, and I was like, oh, this is why they did it because it's fun. But it didn't make <laughs> sense. It, you know, it's like a Little Mermaid soccer. You know, it's the same thing. Like a big thing from the eighties getting a sports spinoff. I just saw that, less some Little Mermaid trailer, so it was in my head. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah all right well i will go ahead and uh, give my first uh honorable mention here and we we talked about it briefly uh when we mentioned super Mario world as one of the uh, launch titles the other one of course was uh as we mentioned f-zero um you know really a unique game for its time time period you know being the the racing type game you know so futuristic um you know the the tracks were sometimes you know you know unbearable to have to deal with at times but they were so fun um you know, they had each um, each one was, you know, you had three different leagues, the knight, the queen, the king. Uh, it made Captain Falcon into a household name as he eventually would get into Smash Brothers himself. Um, yeah, it punch. Of- yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was just uh, another one of those games that really um, kind of set the standard for um, for racing games at that time. And I know a lot of people um, were excited for F-Zero to go on the uh, Super the, um, Nintendo 64 um but I think that one kind of um I don't think that ended up happening and then when it did come up for, for the gamecube uh it um wasn't as uh, successful, so that's kind of unfortunate because I think they could have had a really good franchise on here um uh, with how well this uh this game did uh when it first came out so um did you have anything else to say about the about f uh, f zero Johnny
0: just great presentation very um I don't want to call it cinematic, but it's kind of like, um, to me playing F zero is akin to watching like some big expensive movie that you know, is just there to entertain you. And it doesn't really care. Um, like, I don't want to say like the first, like the fast and the furious franchise, cause I think those are really stupid, but like, uh, I don't know, maybe like the first transformers movie in a way, like it's just big, dumb cinema. Now I'm not saying F zero is dumb, but the presentation is very bombastic. The graphical presentation is such a leap for the time. Um, and it's, it's supposed to, it's a, it's a, I'm doing finger quotes, sports sim, you know, but it's insane. So, yeah, it, it's kind of like Excite Bike in a way. You know, you've got Mario launch title, we need something where the kids press a button and you drive a vehicle. Now, that makes it sound like I'm belittling it. I'm not. It's an absolute right place, right time game. That's, you know, you say the spinoffs weren't successful. It doesn't surprise me because F Zero is such a you had to be there game, in my opinion in my opinion but it's it's legendary though you cannot it looks beautiful it looked beautiful mm-hmm.
1: yeah kind of similar and another uh racing game I, I didn't have it on my list but i do remember playing a lot um hyper zone kind of that same uh kind of that same thing so that was just you know the tracks were really cool you had to fight off all these these bad guys while you were um you were racing so i thought that was you know i thought, thought i would mention that as well just because i do remember playing that game a lot um all right johnny why don't you go ahead and give us the next uh honorable mention
0: sure um so you know it's we you know we did the rpg episode i was trying to think of how i want it, how i want to explain this it's i'll just come right out with it it's final fantasy 3 which is final fantasy 6 i mean some would say it's the best final fantasy and if it's the best Final Fantasy that means it's got to be in consideration for one of the best you know at least top ten games of all time because I think that franchise has cachet to it regardless of what uh, they've done to it over the years and um, but I've been able to play it in so many different ways on so many different systems, and I never experienced Final Fantasy Three or six for the sNES as an owner, just a second hand you know I first played six on the PlayStation, God help me with the awful loading times um but uh you know you have to it has to be spoken of it'd be uh cosmic sin not to Mm
1: -hmm. yeah i think we we did talk about this too when we were discussing rpgs um like i said it's you know why they consider one of the best of all time and you know when you're talking final fantasy um for the super nintendo i think this is definitely the one everyone thinks about so i will so i definitely um you know, I understand why you put it on your least honorable mentions. So, good, good choice there. So, uh, all right, I'll do another entry on my uh, honorable mentions and another franchise that really, um, that kind of launched into the stratosphere thanks to the Super Nintendo, uh, Star Fox. Uh, it was the, uh, yeah, it was the so it was the first, um, first game, of course, for the Super Nintendo. Um, and it just again, one of those games that kind of broke the mold when it came to just having that, you know. The, the style of animation and the you know the gameplay, uh, it, you know introduced us to like I said the Fox McCloud and his team uh, Falco, Peppy, and Slippy um, as they fight the uh, the battle against Andross and it's just one of those games that um just visually just absolutely stunning and as we would see as we would get future games you know they just kind of continue to build on that and it made um it made Fox a you know a, a household name especially as we got into the later years. So I definitely, excuse me, uh, think that this game deserved, at least a mention on uh, my honorable mentions is one of the better, um, as one of the best games that the super Nintendo, um, ever came up with. So, um, Johnny, do you have anything else to say about star Fox?
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't know what the super FX chip did, but I know that star Fox had it cause they had such great commercials. I actually, Even though I didn't own, like I've said numerous times, I don't mean to be redundant, a Super Nintendo. I had a Star Fox poster that I got out of an Electronic Gaming Monthly, I think it was, up on my wall for years because I just loved it. It was all four of the animal characters looking out into space, and there was people in costumes, and it was like Star Fox. Um, The gameplay I've never really fallen in love with – I love do a barrel roll, but that's Star Fox 64. But I mean, geez, you want to talk about influence. I mean, Google, for better or worse, one of the largest pieces, uh, one of the largest things that we interact with as a society uh, in our day to day lives. You type in do a barrel roll and it reacts to it. I mean, that's that's a legend. That's makes you a legend, Mr. Wayne. You know, I mean, (laughs) come on.
1: Yeah, that's that's good. And then also the fact that this gave um you know was one of the more unique uh levels of a uh, how you progress with the story where you know you would get to pick, you know, which path you go on and it would determine the difficulty that you would take. So um that was also I thought very interesting.
0: This is the one with the noises for voice acting, right? The blah 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 blah.
1: I think so, yeah, because then by Star Fox sixty four they actually had um actual dialogue.
0: Yeah. But you know what, though? It still works like it it works. I don't I can't really explain it, but it 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 works for me. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I agree. All right, uh, Johnny, uh, why don't you go ahead and give us the next uh, honorable mention
0: that you have? I think. Is that all of mine? Oh, no, I have have one one more. more. That's right. No, And you know what? It's so funny. I do have one more, but this is the one that uh, I never really played. But but here's the thing. Let me explain, because that's a bold statement. I'm about to say it's an honorable I haven't played it. Mario Paint. Because Mario, or Mario, Nintendo, I feel like, has always been on the cusp of trying to find new ways uh, to create home interactive software. And Mario Paint is sort of, in my mind, the genesis of that. A lot people to compose music, to make pieces of art. You know, it's... You know, and and even something as silly as like Wii Fit, which is they're not the same type of game, but they're the same type of concept. We want you to use our system to entertain yourself at home doing something. And it's primarily video games. But every once in a while, they really think outside the box and try to create an experience. And I think Mario Paint is an early example of that. And I think that's to be commended in gaming personally.
1: Mm hmm. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I I did have Mario Pay, and this, of course, was it was interesting because this came with like the um the mouse and the um the the pat the mouse pad, so it was you know kind of unique, you know, something that you would usually use for a computer to be able to use for a um for a you know console like this, and yeah, just like you said, the ability to just make your own you know make your own art, make your own music, you know, play these little mini games. I mean, the fact that you know the opening tile screen, you know, was basically just like the title Mario paint and then you'd have like a little Mario walk you know running back and forth across and every letter you clicked, something different would happen. Um, you know, just you could just like do that alone for like, t- you know, five, ten minutes before you even start the game and be entertained by it. So um but yeah, I mean it was just such really, you know, very unique for like you said for the time. Um you know just again the different options that you had. Um, to be able to do so yeah i that barely missed my my album mentions but definitely um i'm glad you mentioned it because i think it is definitely you know it was definitely groundbreaking for the time that it came out
0: that's cool i'm glad to hear someone that played it and felt that way you know i mean that's to me that's interesting it's like uh what were they trying to what type of experience were they trying to really create and it's like well they wanted to see what experience you can create and i know it's somewhat rudimentary but uh i just i love the fact that it exists and it was a thing
1: hmm yeah definitely all right well i have a couple more honorable mentions here so i'm just going to kind of br- you know not breeze through them but kind of talk you know good length about them uh another one i had um was another launch title that was for the nes and um when it came out in 91 we mentioned super mario world we mentioned f-zero and then you have pilot wings which oh, was yes. uh you know very you know it was like you know one of the first flight simulator video games that were out there for a console and it was just so you know different for the time again you know just you know the you know the fact that you were able to learn how to you know basically learn how to fly uh via video games and um you know it just was so revolutionary and i remember this was another one where i think there was a lot of hype behind um, the pilot wing 64 when that came out that kind of like i said and that also kind of unfortunately fell a little bit flat um but again using the uh, the mode 7 capability um it's just, you know, again, just one of those games that, you know, was so different and unique for, for you know, and offered a different, you know, different thing for, for gamers to do besides, you know, the usual, you know, aspects of it that we were used to to gaming. So I thought that that definitely um, deserved a mention here. Uh, another one, um, another game we, we talked about last time on the RPG um, episode, uh, Chrono Trigger. Um, another one of those um memorable rpgs that's gotten a lot more play over the uh, last couple of years um and like i said we talked extensively about it in the rpg um episode so we don't have to go really go too much into detail about it uh and then two other uh, mario games that i mentioned that i thought deserved um to be talked about here um super mario kart um the first of uh, its kind um you know this just this, this uh, the opportunity to see these different um characters come together and just race on all these very unique tracks um was just such a was such a, a thrill to see. And kind of interesting that uh that they had Donkey Kong Jr. in this game as well as Koopa Troopa uh as kind of to fill out the roster. So I thought that was those were some uh, interesting choices. Um and it also gave us the first Rainbow Road. So that would become a um, you know a staple of Mario Kart over the years. And then the last um last I mention I had. Um, was super mario all stars uh simply for the f- uh, for the fact that you had it had the first three games one two and three and also the um the exclusive uh, lost levels episode, the game that was i think it was only released in Japan for the time uh to kind of see those games brought from eight bit to sixteen bit um was really kind of cool and um it it gave i think players an extra you know you know Way to, you know, have fun with those games and kind of revisit those games after they had been, they had been so successful from the Nintendo uh, and also kind of served as a good complement to the Super Mario World. So you kind of seen the the original 8-bit games are 16-bit, and then you got this game exclusively for Super Nintendo, um, kind of brought to light here. So I uh, wanted to kind of bring those up here. Um, Johnny, did you want to mention anything else about the uh, any of those other me- games that I mentioned?
0: Uh, Pilot Wings, great choice. I remember it as a launch title. Uh, Chrono Trigger, see our RPG episode. Uh, Mario Kart. You, you've said it and it's another great example of them trying to find another way to entertain people and then uh the last one was mario all-stars uh, talk about a groundbreaking uh repackage uh which be- which has become a standard in video game practices throughout the decades and how about that super mario lost levels is uh the original mario 2 right yes that, game, it- that, that game's impossible <laughs> that
1: that was the big thing about it is that that's why it wasn't released um in the US was because it was so freaking difficult. <laughs> yeah. That's why they did the the Mario 2 that we ended up getting. So,
0: I don't know that I've even beat like the first world on the lost levels. I mean, I don't know that I've tried very hard, but I remember just being a pain in the ass. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it, it it frustrated a lot of people. So, uh that was the kind of it was kind of cool to see it come back to the Super Nintendo give gamers another chance to um to beat it. So All right. Well, that will uh wrap up our list here for this first half. It's been a really fun first half talking all these uh Super Nintendo games, but uh we're now going to go ahead and take a break and when we come back, we're going to uh go to the other side of the spectrum and mention uh some of our favorite Sega Genesis games. Uh, This is, of course, Making Matt Rushmore here on the PTB Pop Experience, and we will see you on the other side of this break. We are back here on Making matt Rushmore. Here on the Pop Experience, I am Steve Riddle alongside Johnny C. We are talking video games this episode, uh, specifically uh, two main consoles that were the big uh, rivals throughout the late '80s and early '90s. We of course talked all Super Nintendo games in the first half, and now here in the second half, we are going to uh, hop over to the other other side and talk about some of the best, some of our favorite games of the Sega Genesis. Um, it was, like I said, the uh, chief competitor to the Super Nintendo in the early 90s. And as I had uh, mentioned, um, I had this at my uh, dad's house while I had the Super Nintendo at my mom's house. Uh, so I was able to play uh, the best of both worlds here. So I'm going to go ahead and get um, get started here with uh, my first entry, uh, My Mount Rushmore of Sega Genesis games. And this is a game that I didn't play a lot of um, back in the day, but I know it was uh, really big when it came out. It was really... Um, you know consider one of the best Sega Genesis games at the time excuse me and that is um Streets of Streets of Rage 2 uh this of course was the uh, sequel to uh Streets of Streets of Rage which had come out in 91 um again it was one of those games that I didn't um play a lot of I know um it's funny one of the games I remember playing a lot of um that I didn't mention about on the Super Nintendo um was Final Fight Yes. And, uh, this was kind of the almost kind of like the um their answer to that. Um but I know it was just again one of those like, you know, side scroller beat 'em up games um that are always a lot of fun to play. Um I I loved playing the final fight games and I know uh, if I had played Street, Streets of Rage I probably would have really loved this game too. Um again, just really successful built off that first game. Um again, like I said, one of the considered one of the best games for the Sega Genesis and still considered one of the best um, beat-em-up games that has ever been released. So I think it definitely deserved a mention on my uh, Mount Rushmore for the uh, Sega Genesis. Um, Johnny, do you have anything else to say about Streets of Rage 2?
0: that it's a perfect example of a sequel that goes bigger and gets better, and has a little bit better of a budget, and just has more polish. I love Streets of Rage 2. Uh, I love pick and skate as I think most people probably do, and uh, just flying around the screen. It's a great game.
1: Yeah, definitely. I I agree with that. Um, All right, why don't you, Johnny, go ahead and give us the first entry on your Mount Rushmore of Sega Genesis games.
0: Sure. So I don't know that I... Like, this game is... I grew up playing this game. I played it incessantly, inside and out. I don't know that I love it, but I think that it was just too darn important to be ignored, and that's Sonic the Hedgehog 2. I mean, it introduces tails. It uh, expands the graphical potential quite a bit. It um, It's faster. It's, I mean, I, it, I, to me, it's like the quintessential ex- Sonic experience. Because I feel like it's just got a little bit more polish to it than the first one. Um, but the first one is a little bit more. Uh, gosh, I don't know. Like, so there's some edges around the first one that give it a, such a unique feel, but I think the second one has more polish. I'm not trying to talk myself out of it. I'm trying to figure out the best way to explain it.
1: No, I, I I get what you're saying, and I actually had um I had Sonic Two on my Mount Rushmore as well. Um, obviously when you think Sega, you think Sonic. Um, and you know that first game was so incredibly you know you know huge when it came out that you know there was i think was a lot of um expectations for the second game, and um it definitely did very well i mean like you said, you know we introduced us to Tails. um the the soundtrack for it is really fun i love the um i actually love the um the music for the boss battles um those are some of my favorites um, oh yeah you know doing the um you know it was always fun to you know go into the like when you do they do the whole um Like the half pipe course to get to the chaos emeralds um that's a lot of fun and just the ability to kind of go back and forth between sonic and um and tails um definitely i think you know brought a little extra juice to the um to the game so um again it's one of those things where you can go either way with those all the sonic games um and i'll probably mention that um when we get uh, later in the um later in the list um but I think um, if you ask a lot of people, they'll probably say that um, while Sonic, um, this first Sonic um, laid the groundwork for things, it was Sonic 2 that you know built on it and made it even bigger. So um, I definitely don't knock you for putting Sonic 2 on the, on your list. So get, great choice there. Thank you. All right. Well, uh, why don't you go ahead and give us the next entry on your Matt Rushmore of Sega Genesis games.
0: All right. So this is a... I don't know how I was first introduced to this game, but it's, to me, it's an absolute classic. It's Shadow Dancer, The Legend of Shinobi. Um, I think it's Shinobi 3 in the canon. I'm not entirely certain. But uh, this, I feel like this is an early Genesis game uh, where you control, it's a side-scrolling ninja game. Uh, You have a dog that you can sick on people. It's tremendous. Uh, Great score. Nice cinematic presentation um multiple gameplay model modes you can play with a sword or with ninja stars um difficult uh, i mean i don't know like i don't know if this game is like known in the cultural zeitgeist or not i'm sure it probably is but like i just i played the hell out of this game and uh, it's it was one of the first games i got for the genesis because i used to rent it all the time when i would rent a genesis uh which is a crazy concept but yeah shadow dancer
1: Mm-hmm. yeah uh this is one i don't remember a ton of i might have seen um might remember seeing commercials for it but um but yeah like you said definitely i think built off the of uh, the previous um the previous games um coming out in 1990 uh being one of the top games of the year so yeah it's definitely one of those ones i think i might want to um at least revisit and uh because i do know it was very popular so definitely one i think is one that's worth a re a reboot or i mean a, a relook at so
0: good choice the dog there. the dog is just i mean it's such a gameplay concept uh that i don't know it really just it grabbed my attention and then it goes from there it's just been a good game
1: mm-hmm. yeah all right well i will uh go ahead and get the next entry on my mount rushmore of sega genesis games and one of the few times, because usually when it came to the the video game consoles, um, I was always a big you know NFL guy, you know, playing the football games. But when I did have the Sega Genesis, I did play a couple of other um, other sports, particularly um, hockey, and a lot of people, um, myself included, would say that um, NHL '94 is not only one of the best uh, Sega Genesis games to come out, but one of the best sports games to come out. Um, you know, you have the ability to do you know, um you know, play either exhibition games or, you know, do a playoffs, um, mini games. And it just, you know, the, you know, just the graphics for it were just really cool. Um, the ability, the ability to, you know, play it and, you know, play like an actual, like it's a real life hockey game and just to be able to, um, again, just kind of, it built off, it kind of laid the, um, even though there were two other uh, NHL games before it, this was kind of the one that a lot of people see, you know, as what really launched, um, the NHL series uh, going forward um, to what we have today to the point that, uh, you know, we did get a, uh, I think there was like an NHL 94 rewind um, game that came out to kind of, uh, you know, bring up, you know, pull, it was, yeah, it was in uh, 2020. They did a remake of this called, uh, called rewind. So um, obviously it shows what kind of um, the impact that this game had um, when it came out and it's still considered one of the, um, the best games done for the Sega Genesis. Um so Johnny, do you have anything else to say about NHL ninety four?
0: Is this the one that introduced one timers? Uh
1: it may have. Uh, actually, yes, it did.
0: Okay. Um so I pref- I it's so funny. I I prefer NHL PA ninety-three, but you're absolutely right in everything that you said. If that if that statement makes sense. <laughs> I no, loved it I, I, I played a shit ton of NHLPA93 and then ecstatically rented NHL94 when it came out. I never purchased because NHLPA93 was like kind of stuck in my muscle memory, but you're right. NHL94 is the one that that made it a thing. Mhm.
1: Yeah, definitely. And like I say it would um we would see that continue on throughout the year, so uh all right, Johnny why don't you go ahead and give us the next entry on your
0: Matt Rushmore of Sega Genesis games. Alright, so this is another random one, but uh it's a it's a port of an arcade game. Um, but it also had an original mode that you could play as well on the Genesis version, and that's the that was the main draw uh for my nostalgia. But it's a game called Mercs. Uh you may have played it in the arcade. It's a top down Legend of Zelda style. Well, not at all, but it's a top down camera view. Uh kind of like Akari Warriors, but a little bit more in depth and uh like i said it had a, a genesis exclusive mode that was like playing the actual arcade game but it was kind of had like had rpg elements and i just i played it incessantly tried to find the best path like it's you know it's just one of those things for me as an individual gamer i can't ignore how much uh, it meant to me playing well that sounds really cheesy but you know just it was a big part of my game but the experience uh, of playing the console
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I, I'm, I may have seen this in the, in the arcade myself, um, so I think I know what you're saying, I think I have seen it before, um, of course it was the sequel to, uh, to the 85 game Commando, and, um, yeah, anytime you have those arcade games that you know were ported to any console, whether it be Sega, Nintendo, that sort of thing, it was always really cool to be able to play because you know that way you know you didn't have to you know spend a lot of quarters on it in the arcade. You can just play it at home. Um, doing like you said, the top-down style for a game for you know basically what's a run and shoot game um, as opposed to an RPG is I think a lot, is really cool. Um, the fact that you know that it had its own us uh, you know unique um, mode for the genesis um helped it stand out as well um so yeah definitely a um a good choice and it's definitely i think um when you think of uh capcom it's definitely up there with one of their as um, one of their best games so definitely another yeah, good choice there
0: another great soundtrack I and mean, you know genesis sound was so different from super nintendo sound and i know that's a kind of a side path but it's such uh like I love I'm a big video game music enthusiast and you know I I don't know the technical specifications but man they just sound so differently but both so awesome.
1: Mhm. Yeah, it it definitely it, they each have their own unique sound um Nintendo and Sega so it it, it helped them be um you know different from each other so d- yeah. I definitely agree with you on that.
0: It's crazy especially when you think about games that were ported to both how differently they were like that's not something you get well i guess it is actually i was gonna say something you don't get to experience but uh i was thinking of the exclusivity contracts most these games have now but then they go away
1: Mm -hmm. yeah that was that was the funny thing too when i was putting my list together i tried to make sure i wanted to pick games that were like exclusive for one console and weren't you know ported between the between the
0: two so completely um, agree although with more, every Mortal Kombat or Street Fighter for Super Nintendo is also really good, too. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, because you you forget how many games, you know, the two consoles shared, so,
0: you know... It was... Oh, yeah, you would see a, uh, a game advertisement in a gaming magazine or just a comic book or something, and you would, if the game looked interesting, you would immediately go to the bottom right away and be like, okay, what is it on? Yes, I have that, you know? <laughs> Sounds stupid, right. but it's the truth. I know. Well, uh,
1: going back to the you know the wrestling tie. Um, those that you know remember the old calls. You know the old videos that came out in the '90s when they did the um acclaim tips at the end. You know, oh, that's right. They would always, always mentioned you know whether the game was for Super Nintendo, for Sega Genesis, or for both. So, you know, that was always um, pretty cool as well.
0: Yeah, I um I reviewed uh in in your house recently, and uh, they were trying to sell the WrestleMania arcade game. The PlayStation version was the cheapest. The Genesis was in the middle. and The Super Nintendo version was still the most expensive at the time, even in 95. Uh, hmm. Just showing sort of like the, you know, how the video game wars were going at the time. And with Super Nintendo being cartridge based and Genesis not having as much going on under the hood. It's just craziness.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Definitely. Okay, well, I will go ahead and give uh, my last entry on my Matt Rushmore Sega Genesis games, and this was another one that I do remember seeing a lot of um, commercials for it. Um, not one that I played a ton of, but I know it was um, pretty unique. Again, and that's Kid Chameleon. Um, you had, you know, the ability you played um, this kid Casey who had the ability to take all these um diff the be these different characters just by wearing um a, a unique mask. Um, And like I said, I do remember um, seeing the commercials for it um, on TV occasionally, and it it looked like an interesting game, but one I never just unfortunately got around to. Um, It had a lot of levels in it, you know, over, you know, over 100 of them, which was crazy for, you know, at that time for a console. Um, And eventually would be included in the uh, when when PS2 and PlayStation Portable did their Sega Genesis collection. uh, This was one of the games included. Um, and again, just maybe not on the same level as some of the other games that we play that we've talked about, but I think it's one that was very, um, you, like I said, unique for the time and definitely, um, interesting for, um, for the Sega Genesis and for the type of game that it was. So I thought it definitely, um, at least deserve them deserve the mention, uh, Johnny, do you have anything else to say about kid chameleon?
0: I don't have much experience with it, except for the fact that I agree it's on like every compilation you can get. And I believe it's a first party game, so that might make it an easier to include. But I think it's also included because it has clout. I've never really gotten into it, but uh, I agree with the pick. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: OK, well, you have one entry left on your Mount Rushmore uh, Sega Genesis game. So why don't you go ahead and give it to us?
0: Well, sure thing, and not to be anticlimactic, but uh, you know, we talked about it somewhat in our RPG episode. I don't know that it made anybody's actual list. Maybe it was just honorable mentions, but um, it's Fantasy Star Four: End of the Millennium. I mean, the Fantasy Star series is. I was going to say infamous, you know, it's it's taken all sorts of courses throughout its lifetime. But uh, the fourth one was a culmination and it was a massive game, extremely expensive. Um, and, you know, the the copy that I would incessantly rent from my local video store, uh, somebody had a save file that was all the way at the end of the game. Thank God, because that's the only way I got to experience it. Uh, nobody that rented it ever erased it. But uh, you know, in in later in life getting to play through it all the way through, it's a, it's a classic RPG. I mean, it's it presses the limits of the Genesis.
1: hmm Yeah, this is another one I think I might have um missed when I was when I was growing up. Um I think when we were talking RPGs, we did mention it briefly, and like I think somebody had it as an honorable mention. Um But again, kind of, you know, built off the previous, you know, the previous games um in the Fantasy Star series and actually was the um was the last one in the original series as well so um a uh, fitting conclusion for this um for the series um pretty popular when it came out so um i think when you're talking um rpgs and and games for the genesis i think this is definitely a very good pick so um
0: i I i'll give you i'll definitely give you that one johnny Nice. Well, I mean, it's just, uh, yeah, it's it's one of those you were it was either a thing or it wasn't. And, you know, again, I hate to be anticlimactic with RPGs on top, but, uh, you know, it is what it is. It's just my genre.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I definitely, um, definitely agree. And, you know, everyone has their um, has their unique, their unique um, games that they draw, they they, you know, draw, uh, are drawn to. So um, definitely. So definitely a good choice there. All right well that will uh wrap it up for both of our main lists but um again we do have plenty of uh, honorable mentions to talk about, so we're gonna go ahead and get deep into those uh i'm gonna go ahead and get my first honorable mention here, and that's a uh, a very interesting uh game um that tied into a great some um, to an art to a great music artist at the time and that's of course uh, michael jackson's moonwalker um playing off of course the um the movie that he did um they turned it into a video game and just uh just the absolute uniqueness of seeing a, a Michael Jackson game, um, especially for that time when he was really kind of hitting his uh, hitting his peak at that time. Um, really, it just I think was very unique. Um, you know, just you know the fact that you know following this you know the movie and you know some of the you know the attacks that you had through that he did and the I think like one of his special attacks was like him doing his you know dances um, that caused all the enemies to um to die so i thought i just thought that you know for the sega genesis it was um very interesting um just to kind of see a game with michael jackson and i thought definitely um more to mention at
0: least um do you have anything else to say about michael jackson's moonwalker oh i love that game um it really that's one of the games that drew my interest to wanting to play a sega because i couldn't play that on regular nintendo um you know i had seen the movie and uh the game came out shortly after and it is it's it there's a lot of brand identity there and i don't say that to be a to joke um obviously it's you know we're talking about at in the in the time that it would came out but uh there was a lot of cachet there there was a lot of star power so but it is a great ridiculous game where you can make your enemies dance it's fantastic
1: <laughs> yeah, just I just remember the one where like he's in the graveyard and he's fighting all the zombies and he like busts out the special move and they're all doing the thriller dance. So
0: yeah, I mean, <laughs> and the score, the music too. I mean, all digitized, you know, sixteen-bit tracks of of his hits. I mean, it's it's tremendous.
1: Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. All right, well, why don't you go ahead and give us uh, one of your album mentions?
0: Oh man, now this is a game that I played incessantly. Just as a way to kill time sometimes, it's kinda of funny in, in later life, like I'm not a sandbox video game fan. Like I don't you hand me a copy of Grand Theft Auto and I'll never get anywhere because I just I can't force myself to go through the missions and what have you. But Toe Jam and Earl was sort of an open world game like that where levels would randomly generate every time you played it. And um a great soundtrack and just the stupidest gameplay and Toe Jam and Earl should have been Legendary Genesis mascots and they kind of fell off the map, but what a unique experience. I I still have not really played a game like it since it came out. I mean, and it, it had a pretty heavy marketing campaign behind it too. Um so I wonder how many nineties kids out there remember Toe Jam. These guys were definitely poochified. These were much more poochie than Kitty Kong. <laughs> all right, but especially Toe jam
1: <laughs> uh yeah, um I actually I had this in my verbal measures as well just cuz I remember just what an insane um game it looked like and it's funny I'm the exact opposite actually. I love Grand Theft Auto, so I could play those, you know. So
0: did you ever um, beat &
1: Earl? I don't think I did. I I mean, okay. I I played it a few times, but it's not one that I, ha- you know, played a lot. Um I do kind of wish I did though cuz I mean just, yeah, you know, cuz again this is another one I remember the commercials for and it just was so out there. Um, in terms of like the gameplay and the characters and you know and everything and like you said you know for a while they were kind of you know considered the number two mascots there for Sega behind Sonic. Yeah. Um, but they just kind of like you said just I mean they they had other games
0: come out but then they just kind of. Oh that sequel fell away, blow. So. That sequel was awful, man. The Escape from Funkatron or whatever. Yeah. The
1: yeah Panic Panic on Funkatron. Yes.
0: yes. No, thank you on that one, good sir.
1: <laughs> yeah it's yeah i think this is one of those ones where it's like you know what could have been um, but i think if you do ask a lot of um, kids that grew up in the 90s that did play the Sega genesis i think they will tell you that they remember they remember to- toe, toe- jamming earl so um so definitely a um, one i think definitely deserves a mention
0: yeah I, now i kind of want to end up like now i kind of want to play it because i got this song stuck in my head so there you go <laughs>
1: oh uh, good all right well i'll go ahead and give another one of my uh, honorable mentions here another game that i do remember seeing a couple times um in, com- in commercials i think a few um like it there was a few like tie-ins with um some restaurants that they did with it um and that's comic zone um kind of an interesting um you know it wasn't you know related to any like you know dc or marvel comics or anything else at the time it was just the fact that you were you basically were playing a video game that was done in the style of, you know, it was basically done as a comic style. Um, You, you know, go from page to page um, going through the story. And again, just one of those games where it's just, you know, just felt so unique um, for its time. And as I said, you know, I think there were a couple of like, they did a few tie-ins with, um, with a few restaurants. I th- I'm trying to, I think, I feel like pizza hut was one of those that did like a tie-in. That um, would with, not with, surprise uh, me. Yeah, so, um, but like I said, you know, just another one of those games, you know, the fact that you basically could play play through a comic book, you know, was, I think, just, you know, it's just a unique experience for the time, so I thought it definitely deserved a mention. Um, did you have anything else to say about Comic Zone?
0: I mean, again, this is another one of those games that's always on ported collections. Um, do you know if it came out later in the console's lifespan? Because I feel like this is one of the last games I had interest in, but I think I had moved on to play I don't know like I've definitely rented it but um I just wonder why it didn't cuz I'm a huge comics fan I don't know why it didn't well me of course at the time I wasn't so I don't know yeah well it came out in the uh, 95 okay well I don't know I guess yeah that would have been this yeah I got a PlayStation 95 I think cuz I see your Mortal Kombat 3 I don't know I'm sorry I'm not trying to conduct therapy on the air here <laughs>
1: <laughs> No it's all it's all good uh that that will be another um Another, uh, dip, you know, possibly a future Mount Rushmore when we talk about the PlayStation, um, sure. some of the games there. So, um, all right, um, why don't you go ahead and give us another uh, honorable mention that you have?
0: All right, so I I think this was a Genesis exclusive. I hope it was because I'm like you. I kind of wanted to stick to exclusives because uh, I know my next one breaks that. Um, it's it's a it's a racing game. Um, which I'm not a huge fan of, but this was sort of like professional wrestling mixed with, like, motorcycle racing, and I kind of loved it. It's called Road Rash. I don't know if you ever played it. Um, but, uh, you know, it's a racing game where you can kick your opponent and use, wep- like, find weapons, but there's, like, a little narrative that goes to it. Uh, most of the uh, CPU drivers have stupid names, you know, and it makes them somewhat memorable, and you can get arrested by the cops. Uh, which is awful feeling when you're about to win and you get arrested. Um, it's, just, it's just, it's a great little game. I mean, I don't know what else to say. It's, it's, I don't, I don't know if it's remembered or not, but I loved it.
1: Yeah. I, again, this is one I think I may have played like once or twice. Um, I do. I the, I remember I, the, looking at it here. It looks like that they made this to kind of combat. Um, I think it was Nintendo at the time was doing a Mario Andretti racing. So this was kind of their answer to that. Um, and yeah, just the, you know, the, the fact that, you know, we, you know, it was so different, you know, that you now race on motorcycles instead of cars and the fact that you can knock your opponent off the, off the bike to, you know, get the, to take the lead. And also the kind of interesting thing where, you know, you can get arrested and that might, you know, affects, you know, if you're, you know, your ability to win. So, um. Yeah, it's definitely another good choice here. Um, it was another game that was like really, you know, critically critically acclaimed when it came out. It, you know, there were some, you know, sequels after it, um, and it, it, you know, I think it's again one of those ones where I, you don't, I think you may not think about it at the at the moment, but then when you kind of look back and then you read about it, you're like, oh yeah, I do, I remember that game.
0: Yeah, it's a very genesis. Like there are some games that are just like, oh man, that's such a Genesis game. And if you had the Genesis, you kind of know what that means. Uh, it's like Toe Jam and Earl. It's just such a. If you you either had a Genesis or you didn't.
1: Hmm. Yeah, definitely. All right, I'll go ahead and give uh, my next entry here. And another game that's kind of a. It's it was kind of it's kind of um. I don't want to say cheating because it was a Sega game. It was released on the Genesis, but it was also released on the Mega Drive as well. Uh, and that's Altered Beast. Um when I look at the um uh, kind of the gameplay for it, it almost kind of reminds me in a way of um Ghosts and Goblins, which of course was the uh the real the, you know, kind of the Nintendo game of it. Um but again it's just one of those um side scroller beat-em-ups. Um you're basically um you're trying to save um Athena uh from from Neff and you know, just all these different, um, you know, monsters and un- undead characters just all coming at you. And another game that was really, um, I mean, it was kind of mixed. It had mixed reviews when it came out, but it ended up being one of the best game, um, highest grossing games that came out um, in, in a 1988. Actually it might be one of our the oldest um, titles we've talked about to this point. Um, but it really, um, you know, again, it was just very... Um, different and unique for its time and event and i don't know if it's spawned much of a franchise after this um just because um i think a lot of just because i think the gameplay was very um you know not well received f- through it um but i think it's definitely one where you remember sega sega games this is one of the first ones you think of wasn't this packaged with the genesis like it was yeah it was one of the packing games when it came out in 88 so
0: yeah i mean this game's uh I mean I talk I've talked on this a few times that are casually mentioned I would rent a Genesis you know like when I got like I, this is it was like a big thing you know my parents would rent a Genesis and uh Altered Beast always came with it uh because it I guess when the video game store bought it it came with it so but yeah it's a it's great game I mean it's I don't like it's I I totally it totally belongs here I just don't know if I'd run out and want to play it
1: right I, I i agree with you on that yeah all right well i believe you have uh one honorable mention left on your list so go ahead and give it to us
0: yeah for sure and it is a game that was that has that you know received some ports across platforms but it's it's so special to me and it's kind of like streets of rage 2 because it is a beat 'em up so the the death of superman was such a huge thing and i wanted to understand it but Back then, not only was I a kid without money, but it was really hard to figure out what comics I needed to read to understand it. And yeah, DC Comics made a game, a side scroller beat 'em up called The Death and Return of Superman that told the story um, of The Death and Return of Superman with all the four imposter supermen. And I mean, you know, Doomsday and everything. It And it kind of gave you just the what you needed to know. And uh, it was like getting to see almost like a new Superman movie or something like that. I don't know if that is adequately explained, but uh, it's the death and return of Superman for Sega Genesis. Uh, you can play as Superman, Superboy, Steel, the Eradicator, or Cyborg Superman at various times. They all control a little differently. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know that it's a great game, but man, it was, it was a yeah, it was a big one for me. Mm-hmm
1: yeah this is another one i i missed um I, I i'm i'll be honest i'm not the the biggest comics guy i mean i've read a few of them uh, i am aware of the death of superman um story um and how huge it was for the time just to see you know this you know this great superhero you know meet his end um at the hand of, hands of doomsday and to see kind of it play out you know where you can actually play it um in a video game i think is definitely a really cool um choice here um
0: I mean, yeah. you guys, oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, it, it had some cutscenes, it had some dialogue, and, you know, I, I had read a book that told the story, um, but it was a it was a novel. It wasn't a, a comic book. And so now I got to finally see it with animation, with panels coming to life. It was just, you know, it was, it was kind of like seeing a new Superman movie. I know that sounds corny, but this was back in the day, and it was all we had, so, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, you know, everyone, you know, those um, any time you have a game based off a comic book, it's going to be, you know, it could be hit or miss. So, um,
0: yes, I, that is also very true. You know,
1: um, Superman, Superman for the N64. I'm looking at you. <laughs> y- yes, yes.
0: Yeah. And yeah, because those licenses, they were just given them, given licenses out a dime a dozen. The same they were with everything. You know, put on a T-shirt, put on a lunchbox, make a game of it real quick. Um, this i don't i mean the gameplay's fine it's it can be a little wonky um i think it's a claim but don't put money on it um but yeah it's you know it is what it is
1: mm-hmm. yeah i agree all right well i have um two more on my uh my my honorable mentions and they're actually both um the same uh cut from the same cloth in essence um we of course talked about um sonic 2 which we both had on our lists. um I didn't include the original Sonic the Hedgehog just because it was such a, you know, a big launcher for the Sega Genesis. Um, Introduced Sonic, you know, to the to the lexicon. Um, You know, again, just, you know, the fact that you see this like side scroller, you know, collecting the rings, getting the Chaos Emeralds, you know, beating, you know, fighting uh, Dr. Robotnik, Um, you know. It was it, it he be, Sonic became, you know, to Sega what Mario was to Nintendo. So and it really started with this game. Um and then I also had um I did have Sonic three, uh Sonic and Knuckles, Sonic and Knuckles um on here as well just because, you know, it introduced us it did introduce us to Knuckles. Um again kinda of c- continued to build off what Sonic and Sonic Two did and um you know it just became another great um addition in the franchise and made, you know, sonic even bigger you know to the point that he got so many other games um got a couple you know i think he had his own cartoon series and then of course you know way way down the line we of course got the two movies that everyone had been waiting for all the time and then you know when the first uh, trailer came out for the first sonic movie everyone got so freaked out just because of how sonic looked but it ended up you know they ended up you know altering it, and then it worked down the end because both sonic and sonic 2 um did extremely well and are considered some of the best uh, video game movies um of you know of all time which unfortunately is kind of a low bar because you know uh video game movies are have had a lot more misses than hits um but i think again when you're talking sega um you have to include sonic just because of how important he was to the franchise
0: yeah and the I mean, console itself absolutely he's there everything um the the concept of sonic and knuckles too was also uh kind of revol, you know it was it was a risk in terms of offering something different and uh i think that should be always be rewarded so i definitely agree with that. sonic 3 kind of lost me um personally uh but sonic and knuckles was something that i rented quite a bit of but sonic 3 i don't know i just i missed it you know mm-hmm. but ironically i loved one and two so i don't understand
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah well you know, we all have, like I said, we all have um, our particular favorites when it comes to those franchises. So
0: I was playing a lot of Mortal Kombat. Can I, I, I you know, the the Mortal Kombat for Sega Genesis? I feel like warrants a mention. Just, and I'm not trying to hijack the show, my man. Please, I just because no, no. because you could unlock the blood, which I'm not seeing. Like, okay, like yeah, it was important to me because it's that's the way the game was intended. But at the same time, you cannot look past how controversial that was at the time and, and it was uh i don't know it, it was quite an interesting time and an interesting thing for people to care about but i still remember the blood code because you know i had to memorize it because i wouldn't play without it so i just gotta give a shout out to the original mortal kombat right now i
1: agree i mean like you said you know that was a huge you know huge game when it came out and it was one of the, it is one of the games that was ported for both the Nintendo Super Nintendo and the Sega Genesis and i ca- i can't remember if the Super Nintendo even had the blood
0: code like i feel like that was a a Sega, no it was all su- exclusive yep it was all sweat <laughs> instead of blood and then uh they even had different fatalities to uh change it up so it wouldn't be as gory Right,
1: but i feel which makes sense cuz i feel like Nintendo is always kind of it geared itself more towards a younger crowd whereas maybe the Sega was more towards like a, a little bit of an older crowd hence why they had it
0: so it would well, it sucked because Super Nintendo felt more like the arcade game but the Genesis had the blood but it was certainly like its own thing so Super Nintendo was like the better looking movie uh but Genesis had you know the features that you wanted it's a silly comparison but it's the way it is that's <laughs> how my brain works
1: <laughs> no i i agree and i think a lot of people would probably uh would definitely say the same thing that had that did play both so yeah definitely that's a good comparison there all right well that will uh wrap things up here for this episode um we did a lot of great games on both the super nintendo and sega genesis and again hopefully this will be a topic we, revis- we revisit down the line uh talking about some other uh consoles um in the future uh, but right now, let's talk about uh, where everyone can find us on social media and what's all you got going on in terms of podcasts. So, Johnny, go
0: ahead and let us know. Well, sure. I'm on Twitter at the TheJohnnyC. It's J-O-N-N-I-E-S-E-A. And then uh, I'm on North-South uh, once a month doing the Multiverse of Fabulousness where we uh, look at pop culture variants, travel to different Earths and uh, play games sometimes, alter some things, rebook some wrestling shows, uh, all sorts of wild stuff we've done on there. And then I have my own feed, uh, called the new TNN, uh, because I mean, you put new in front of anything and it automatically makes it better. But, uh, I do a bunch of shows on there. I do some list stuff, uh, do some old school wrestling reviews, uh, do some bad movie reviews. Uh, just try to have fun. Kind of look at everything through a lens of humor. Uh, but uh, you know, it's a good time. I enjoy it quite a bit. Uh, we just celebrated our hundredth episode, where we made fun of the legendary film Rollerball. So, yeah, that was fun.
1: <laughs> Yeah, definitely, and I I will say for the um if you have for those of you if you haven't listened to the Multiverse of Fabulousness definitely check it out. He um Johnny does a great job with it. I, I'm kind of behind on some of these podcasts, so I got to catch up. The last one I listened to was where um, you rebooked WCW Battle Bowl '93 as a WWF pay per view. And I thought you did a really great job with that. Some of the choices were definitely a bit out there, but I think for the most part, um, all the heavy hitters at that time for the WWF were definitely well, well
0: covered. So I'll uh, definitely uh, give you credit for that. Well, thank you. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. And yeah, we try to, you got to have rules when you do those things. And I try to, it'd be easy to just do the book, the best thing possible, but I don't know, but uh, you're not making fun of my macho man, Shawn Michaels dream team. Are you?
1: No, I think okay. that no, I think that was um that was great. So
0: I was trying to remember that show and I was like, oh, that's the one where I waxed poetic on HBK and watch man being a tag team. You know, for one night only. <laughs>
1: right. No, it was it was definitely great. So yeah, be sure to check um be sure to check that out. As well as everything else on North South. Um lots of great shows over there. It's also of course the home of the Jenny position all of uh, Jennifer Smith's great show, so be sure to check those out as well. Uh as for me, uh you can usually find me over here on this uh pop feed in addition to the show i have uh, pop goes the classics where myself andy atherton and miranda berthold are going through all of the disney animated films uh, Our most recent episode we did the hunchback of notre dame um lots of fun there so our next episode will be hercules um hopefully we should um if we don't do it this month hopefully we'll be able to do it before the end of the year uh, as we look forward to uh, continuing on through the journey into 2023 uh, I also am part of the video jukebox song of the day. Uh, right now, it's pretty much just been me and Andy doing that. But we basically um, what we do is every Monday through Friday, we live watch a music video and talk about it. So it's a lot of fun to do. Lots of great um, different videos we've done. We do different theme weeks. Um, like, for example, um, we recently did one where we covered all weird Al Yankovic songs. And um, upcoming for our uh, for Thanksgiving, we will be doing a week all co- um, dedicated to songs about home. So be sure to check all that out. And you can also find me over on the PTB Wrestling feed, uh, where myself and James Grunberg have Extreme Resurrection, where we are going through the... Uh, The ECW revival that the WWE did, Uh, we are into 2007. Uh, Last episode, we touched on the two episodes going into No Way Out, so we are now going to be covering the uh, fallout from that and continuing on the road to WrestleMania 23. So I'm looking forward to getting to some of those episodes as we continue the uh, ECW Originals New Breed Feud. Um, you can usually find me again find me over on um, the PTB Facebook page uh, where we have a lot of great um, discussions, questions, um, occasional tournaments going on. So um, if you're not in, if you're not involved in that, you know drop us a, drop us a line and uh, we'll invite you to join. Um, with that said, um, I want to again thank Johnny for coming on and joining me here. This was a lot of fun and I look and we look forward to seeing what we have planned for uh, the end of the year. So for Johnny C, I am Steve Riddle. This has been making Matt Rushmore.